0: Welcome to Hear Tell, a podcast about true stories and how we tell them. Hear Tell is a project of the Low Residency MFA Program in Narrative Nonfiction at the University of Georgia's College of Journalism and Mass Communication. I'm Diana Keogh. On today's show, I'm speaking with Shannon McCaffrey and Jan Winburn about the beautiful piece Shannon wrote and Jan edited that was published in Atavist magazine. In this article titled Sanctuary, Shannon tells the love story between a woman named Carol and an elephant named Tara and their 50-year bond. Shannon's piece was picked up by Sunday Longform, which described Shannon's work as lyrical. NPR Scott Simon tweeted his admiration for this article with this one line, I simply love this story. Shannon has worked as a journalist for over 20 years, reporting and editing government and political stories on both the state and national level for the Associated Press and Knight-Ritter newspapers. She's a senior editor at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Shannon received her MFA from UGA in 2022. Jan Winburn is one of our MFA Distinguished Professors of Practice. She spent more than four decades at local, national, and global news outlets working as a narrative editor, writing coach, and investigative editor. Stories she edited have won a lot of significant journalism awards, including the Pulitzer Prize for Future Writing, the Peabody, and two Edward R. Murrow awards, to name just a few. So, Jan, Shannon, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having us. Glad to be here.
0: So you wrote this piece for The Atavist um, how long ago?
1: Oh, boy. I started it about two years ago. Um, But then The Atavist piece ran earlier this year, so I really kind of had to revisit it and go through a really deep editing and fact-checking process at the end of 2022 and into 2023. The piece I wrote is a story of a woman and her elephant, They met when they were both young and spent about 50 years together. The conflict in the story came when Carol Buckley lost the elephant for a time, lost custody of the elephant, and spent a decade trying to get her back.
0: So kind of walk me through the process on where this story idea even came from? How did you run into this woman?
1: As a writer, I think a lot of people struggle with ideas, right? And so um, this one was on, it was very straightforward in that I worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I was reading just briefs one day, you know, sort of in the back of the, the paper, and there was this little item about an elephant sanctuary that was going to open in South Georgia. And, you know, you file it away, right? I'm like, Well, that could be interesting down the road. I've never heard of an elephant sanctuary in the Deep South. So, you know, I just filed it away. And then when I came into this program, the UGA MFA program, and I was casting around for ideas, came back to me. I, I think I put it in my notes app, actually, and followed up and – the sanctuary still wasn't open yet, and I was intrigued by that. And so I kind of went into, why hasn't it opened? And then this amazing backstory just opened up as I began to dig. So it was really just a, one of those moments where you see something interesting, but it's a five-sentence brief.
2: I love that because Susan Orlean, in her book The Orchid Thief, She talks about exactly that in how finding ideas, that she finds them in the smallest paragraphs in the deepest part of a newspaper. And if it's got a few interesting words in it, it's
1: worth looking into.
0: And so finding the idea, kind of walk me through what happened after that.
1: So once I started to actually say, oh, okay, I want to report about this, I kind of dug into everything I could find online. When I reached out to her initially, I didn't want to be half-informed. And then I reached out, and she basically said no. (laughs) She she said, I'm still going through um, a legal process. I talk too much. My lawyers have told me not to talk. Maybe I'll talk to you at the end of it, but I'm not talking to you now. But I could tell she was a person who you could tell wanted to talk. You know what I mean? She wasn't somebody who initially shut down. She was willing to kind of have an off-the-record discussion. And so I said, OK, well, would you mind if I came down there and not for anything on the record, just to get a sense of what it's like? I promise you I'll just be a fly on the wall and I won't use any of it unless we speak. And it turned out she was getting her first elephant at this point. It wasn't the elephant that she was reunited with, her old elephant, but another one. And so, after some cajoling, she let me come down, and I went down without knowing if I'd ever be able to use any of it. But I think making that long drive down, spending the day, sticking to what I said I was going to do, which was not get in the way, you started to develop a relationship of trust.
0: And for those that are listening and just getting into the writing process, or even for experienced writers that don't have the reporting experience that you do, how do you know that someone, I mean, you said you. You could tell that she was probably going to be open to it at one point. How, how can you tell the difference? Because a lot of times as a new writer, reporter, you hear no, and the first thing you do is shut down and go away, right? Right. How did you actually know the difference?
1: There are some people who say no, and that's all they say. But there's some people who say no and have a reason for saying no. And even as even as they're saying no, they sort of open the door a bit. You know, they're they're still sort of telling you things that are that are useful, and you just kind of get the sense that she she was a talker, and and that proved to be true down the road. I mean, there are sometimes when people say no, which is just an absolute no. I, I try to. Go back and at least give them the opportunity to say yes.
0: And you said at one point to me, kind of offline, that this is a, a difficult person to win their confidence. Kind of walk me through that process. How did that? How did yeah, that work?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the heart of the story is a betrayal by her ex-boyfriend, a betrayal by the people who she set up this earlier elephant sanctuary with. She feels very, very burned by people in her life, and really, in some ways, is retreated to animals as a as a creature she can trust, right? She doesn't trust humans, she trusts animals. So it was really important that I just let her talk uh, and tell her side of things in the first couple interviews and not back at her and test things, but really just let her get it all out at first. And then as the interviews progressed, then we kind of, went into a little bit of more of a back and forth. Like, well, you said this happened. Did that really happen? But she struggled with trust. And even once you got her talking, you know, when I would fact check with her, she was very precise. You know, at one point, I think I said, she drove her ATV and and she said, it wasn't my ATV. It was the Refuge's ATV. You know, she was just very precise about language. I mean, you, you want to be accurate. And I think the reason she was interested to me was because she was quirky and because she was interesting. If she had just been easy, she wouldn't have been such a great story.
0: And so as a reporter, you've done features. This was a whole different type of writing for you. And before you kind of talk to me about that transition, I kind of wanted Jan to explain kind of the difference between feature writing and what narrative writing is, and just a little bit about that.
2: Shannon and I worked together, actually, the first, her first semester in the program, and that's where I think Shannon immediately grasped the difference and took the leap from feature writing to narrative. The primary difference being that you withhold information in a narrative, in order to keep a reader reading. Even a feature story will often sort of summarize at the top what the feature is about, and then the rest of the story supports that. But in a narrative, you are leaving open some questions, there's some mystery, you're creating an engine to drive a reader through that story to find out what happened next, what happened next. Shannon did that immediately. She saw that difference in that first semester. She went away from me and worked with some other mentors. I have to say John T. I think was your mentor who, where she began this story and met with enthusiasm for the subject, which is so important for a writer. Even if you're a little bit not sure, I think to let a writer have the leash and to to check it out, to go for it. There's a joke about me that I'm like that I hate animal stories, and so it's a really good thing you didn't start it with me. No, I I, I like to think I would have seen the possibilities. But, I thought it was but, just
0: talking, talking animal stories. You hate? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but
2: the 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 reason I people say that about me is in classically in newspaper feature writing. That is such low-hanging fruit, animal stories. Oh, you got people right off the bat. You don't have to work at it. Not true with a narrative like this. I also came to read Susan Orlean's book called Animals. And so, you know, I've kind of gotten straightened out as far as that goes. (laughs) She did some uh, smaller pieces early on, caught that narrative. I think you already had the sort of narrative thirst. And then she became the narrative junkie. (laughs) <laughs> and was really primed and ready to do this piece. And I was quite lucky that Shannon came back to me then for her last semester. And I got to finish this out with her. I mean, even in feature writing, you're looking for a character. You're trying to create scenes. You're doing a lot of the things a narrative does. But I would say primarily that difference is withholding information to make the story propulsive. So a reader has to keep going.
0: Well, and speaking of scenes, there were so many vivid beautifully constructed scenes. And the reporting that is required for that type of writing is different than on deadline. How did you set those up, and the type of reporting that you had to do? That's a lot different than what we usually do.
1: It is a lot different, and um, I don't remember grasping narrative immediately, Jan. I think you might be uh, being a little kind in your retelling of that. It was it was definitely a process, and and I will say that in some ways, like working with both you and John T on this story, I don't know that it would have been the story it was without you know your steady hands on it because. There were a lot of times when I just wanted to walk away from it because it got hard. But in terms of reporting, it was completely different reporting. I I would have to go back again and again and again. The one scene or section that was wonderful to do was the courtroom section because we had a transcript. And so really all I had to do was fill out some of the descriptions, ask what the mood was and was the courtroom full. So that really wrote itself, which was phenomenal. But the rest of the scenes, almost all of them were recreated. And so I would try to go back and get as much detail often from Carol as I could. But then I revisited the other people who were there. The scene at the beginning where she finds Tara, who's the elephant, I ended up finding the guy who sold it to her out in California. And he remembered almost all of it the same. There were a few little differences. But he added little details that are just really telling. So at all, I feel like it both gives you a confidence in the scene that you're reconstructing and also some additional color that also adds to it. But it felt like a never-ending process because you felt like you had to keep going back to people. And so you said it was sunny. Was it sunny? Sun? Was it hot? You know, were, were you sweating or, or was it just kind of cool? And I always get the sense that they think you're crazy. Like, why are you asking me these questions? <laughs> I
0: don't. There was a lot of emotion in this. And so how did you get, get that out of her? How did you tease all that out of her?
1: Slowly. really tried to ask her quite, quite often, what were you thinking? You know, like, not what were you saying, but what were you thinking? And I think that helps some. But, I mean, you know, again, it goes back to the trust issue we talked about earlier. I think after a while, we were just two people talking. And she knew the whole time that I was a reporter. She knew the whole time that this would be in a story. But you had spent enough time with her and built enough trust that she was like you and I talking here today. It was just a conversation. It didn't feel forced.
2: I wanted to say something about the scenes that scene of her in California when an elephant, Tara, walks past her window and her dog starts barking. Such a great scene. And it was for some time the first scene of the story. And then Shannon started asking herself and me an, another really great question, which led her elsewhere. She said... Is it okay that the story starts back in the 70s? I mean, it, it's pretty remote. And I would be, yeah, but, like, it's really vivid. You've done the reporting to bring that moment alive, and it's so, you know, it's so charming. You just are immediately like, what the heck is going to happen here? But she told me, she said, but, you know, I did go and see her at her new sanctuary, and I was there the day this new elephant arrived. Maybe I can play with that. It would, it would put us in the today, the moment, you know, a present-day moment that she witnessed. And so I said, okay, you know, go for it. See what that does. It ended up being the beginning of the story, and I think it was perfect because for two reasons. One— it's in the moment right now, and it, it was the type of moment that allowed Shannon to bring in a lot of important things for the reader to understand about the story before we kept going. So we learned there that there's another elephant that she is fighting to gain custody of again. It's just a scene that also allowed for that to be a fairly natural part of the exposition. The other thing it did is it pushed that scene of California down kind of a third of the way through the story. And it's fabulous. And I think sometimes what we forget as writers and editors, we always care so much about that beginning and often the ending. But where you lose people in the story is in the middle. And so it, it took this fabulous beginning, which it could have still been the beginning, but it puts it kind of a third of the way into the story. So it's like discovering another gold coin on the path as you read this story.
0: Well, and also the amount of rewriting that is required. I mean, kind of talk to us about, again, we're used to working on deadline. And there was really no hard, fast deadline for this, except maybe some of the deadlines that Jen or the mentors were putting on you for reading responses, right? Um, Like the rewriting, how did you get over that temptation to walk away from the story after all the work that it was going to be required?
1: Yeah, I I actually think I did walk away from it for a bit. After the end of the program, I just wanted nothing to do with it. I was like, okay, that's good enough. Good enough. I'm done. And then I I kept thinking to myself, well, I've done all this work. And there was one at one of our residencies, somebody said, you know, it you have to put your work out into the world. And I I kept reminding myself of that, right? I think I wrote it down in a notebook and was saying, it's not good enough just to have written this. I need to get it out into the world. I also wanted, I mean, I'd spent all this time with her. I didn't want her to think that I had wasted her time. And so Jan was the one who suggested The Atavist, which ended up being just a phenomenal fit. I mean, they were interested right away, and they already had a great, very well-edited piece Going back into the editing for them was a little tough. They wanted a scene at the end, which kind of brought readers up to speed, so I went down again. You know, it's an exhausting process. I don't know if you want me to go into this, but we did an incredible amount of fact-checking, too. I have never been fact-checked like that in my life. I consider myself a fairly careful reporter and writer, and I'm an editor, too, so I've made reporters fact check stories, but this was on another level. This was, they have an outside person that they work with, and she goes through every single line, and you provide documentation for every single fact. She called the sources that I had talked to and kind of checked what I had reported from them. And I mean, that process, I remember when she sent her her first notes back, I think there were like 99 questions or something. When am I going to be done with this? But it made the story stronger. And it also gave me confidence. I mean, I'd never published anything this long before. And so it gave me confidence that when the story landed in the world, it was going to be accurate.
0: And that wasn't discouraging for you at all?
1: Oh, yes, it was. I remember um, spending a whole weekend working on it and just complaining to everyone around me that this is ridiculous. You know, this is absolutely ridiculous. You know, some some of the I gave her this already, I gave her that, you know, and I was I gave her interview notes, I gave her recordings where I had them, you know. But again, you know, it's their job. And I mean, again, I think everyone felt more confident when the story went out there that if there was anything wrong in there, it was very unlikely that there was going to be anything almost impossible for there to be anything wrong in there.
0: Well, and kind of jumping on that. So when you started this, you actually didn't know what you were going to do with it. Mm -hmm. So for those that are listening how would you kind of going back and doing it all over again? Would you start the organization process at the very beginning?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If I, I've already thought about this, if I did uh, a proge- project this long again, which I hope to do, I will absolutely organize things in a better way with a Dropbox file, with kind of all the documents labeled and footnoted. Um, you know, it, I, I just didn't even think that way because in the beginning I didn't know what it was going to grow into. I actually have a. A very good sense that I would create a much more organized system.
2: That was your first time to be published in a magazine, Yes, right? that's right. So, you know, when you do know that it's going to go to a magazine, that they have that tradition of fact-checking. Those of us who's worked in newspapers, we fact-check, but it's not as exhaustive as that mm-hmm. often. So I think all magazines, you would need that. You would need the footnoted version of it and your documents all
1: collected and organized.
0: Yeah so I mean and did you work in a certain program to do this or were Mm -hmm. you no. Um, how did you do that? Um,
1: although I think it was um, Scrivener that a lot of mm-hmm. people use. Mm-hmm. I, I think I might use that the next time around. I was just using Dropbox and Word. Like I, I would, um, I would have the files all labeled, and then you know, the, when I went back and did it this way, and footnoted and linked, you know, to all of the various different files in the in the Dropbox. If in fact I end up writing a book someday, I will, uh, I will absolutely start from the beginning with a much better organization system.
0: So as a reporter and editor, um, how has learning the narrative process changed your writing in your day-to-day life? Kind of in your your day job?
1: Wow, yeah, it it has quite a bit. I mean, I'm a reporter and editor at the Atlanta Journal Constitution now, so you know, there's still a lot of inverted pyramid Uh, writing we do where you know all everything is shoved up at the top to grab the reader's attention because you assume they're going to stop reading very quickly it's really I think made me more conscious of writing scenes in a way that's different this it might not be a full narrative story but having scenes in there has been something I didn't used to do before I haven't really done a big narrative story since this one but I've, I've feel like I'm constantly thinking about ideas to do and, and how to build little pieces of narrative in a story. It's made me, Jan, you said this, it's made me a completely different writer. Yeah.
2: That, that's such a great takeaway, though. I mean, you're not going to have, it, it's rare that you can approach everything as a full narrative, even in other kinds of writing that you might do. If you are, even if you were pitching to a magazine How much of that could be pure narrative? So the idea that you've taken from this experience, the techniques of, like, sprinkling some narrative in a piece just to make it as compelling of a read as you can, I think that's the best takeaway you could have for a working journalist who's going to have to do a lot of types of writing.
0: So how do you sprinkle narrative? What does that mean?
2: So I guess what I'm thinking of is you have... um, Often with stories like Shannon works on for the paper, she has that imperative, right, to, like, get to the point. But she can also help the reader experience the story. And so she may have to say up top, like, this is what happened. But then she can take you into a moment that supports whatever point she's had to make and then create that as a scene. Then she, maybe she has to come out of it. So it's that back and forth between scene and exposition, which a pure narrative, you're trying to not do much exposition, you're trying to do scene, 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 scene. But that's rare. And I think the idea that you're going back and forth, like I, I have to tell the reader this, now I can show it to them. I have to tell them this, now I can sort of support it with by showing. And that showing is where you're using those scenes.
0: So a lot of people that we write about don't actually know how they're seen by others. And was there anything that you used in this story to describe your main character that she had a problem with or was surprised when it came out or even that her friends were surprised that she behaved or said or did X? And then how did you manage that?
1: Yeah, she's fairly self-aware, you know, and knows that she can be prickly Even so, I think there was a little bit of um, surprise at some points about what some other people said about her, like some people who said, you know, she was really difficult to work with. She would swear, you know, yell at us if we didn't, you know, take care of the elephants properly. She's like, I never swore. I, I, I may have used, you know, a harsh word or two. And then she would think about it and go, well, but if I did... My intentions were good. And you could almost see her processing it, you know? I mean, so, so I think what was interesting for her was to hear others' observations about her reflected back and to sort of realize that, yes, that is how she was perceived. Um, but she was fairly um, – she was fairly uh, – she was okay with it. I, I think that eventually she kind of <laughs> – I really do feel like at the end she saw it almost as a little bit of therapy – um, if that makes any sense, she struggled a bit, but had to come. She came to terms with it. But I also understood that with her, you kind of had to give her the information and let her sit with it for a little bit. Um, you know, she would say, "Well, I, I just, I don't think it. I don't think that was how it went." And uh, let's talk tomorrow. And and then she'd text me and go, "You know, I think, I think you're right. Um, I, you know, maybe I just wasn't." remembering properly. So she had to sit with it a little bit. I always am amazed when people agree to talk to us sometimes because I would not want anyone looking at my life like that. You know, I don't know that I'd <laughs> want all of that reflected back to That's me. Sure. I try to be kind about it and, and, you know, really give some people some time to come to terms. So that was part
2: of the building of trust, too. Here she saw you bringing back to her some of your other reporting, that that she had an opportunity to defend or complicate. And so I think that had to build a lot of trust. That's kind of a no surprises journalism process. And I, I love that you didn't just do it. Sometimes we do that no surprise thing at the very end, you've got the piece written and then you call them and you talk to them about the piece so they know what's in there. But what you did was you sort of did it during the reporting process, which is great because you were then going ahead and getting maybe sometimes more from her than you actually had. I mean, I find that usually um, takes whatever you're attempting to do and and makes it more accurate.
0: You're quite successful as a journalist. Why did you do this program? (laughs)
1: I was burned out. Journalism had really burned me out. I'd been doing daily journalism for a couple decades. I had actually left journalism briefly and was doing some communications work at Emory, but I didn't want to walk away from writing. I kind of wanted to go deeper on writing. And there were a few friends of mine who said, you've been a journalist a long time. What is this going to teach you? You know, you're you're a veteran. And I was like, this is going to teach me a whole part of the world of writing that I didn't know about. To me, this deepened me deepen my skills as a writer and and just open new doors to me. I mean, I have just become a narrative junkie now. I read so much of it. I, you know, um, evangelize about it in the newsroom when I can. (laughs) You know, it, it really has been a really enriching experience. So what's next for you? That's a good question. So there's a possibility that we may turn this into a book. It would require a lot of additional reporting. It wouldn't just be Carol's story. So for instance, like the history of zoos and how, and zoos and elephants, and how the, it has become such a controversy now that many zoos have gotten rid of elephants. So the ones that have them still get protests. And so I could see a whole section that looked into zoos and looked into circuses and these sort of thematic areas. But I don't want to get too far away from a human story either. So sort of working on a really rough book proposal now that would see how we could do that and if it and if it worked. I don't want to force a book where there isn't one. um, But I do feel like it has potential. It's exciting. I just want to say how great it was to work with both Jan and John T. No, I mean it. I mean it. Like this story would not have happened without them. And it was just such a great experience.
2: It was for me. It was such a joy to to work with you. I have to say I also kind of loved that you had been an editor, right? Who went back to writing. And yet you had been a really good editor and I'm sure being an editor had made you a better writer. But I, I love I love to see that transition that goes back and forth and it, and it felt felt feels inspirational to me because I've been an editor a really long time and so I know what it's like. To be an editor and then write and everybody who you edited is looking, right? Oh, but can she actually do it herself, right?
1: That is absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. But I'm back to editing now in you my full time job. Yeah, okay. yeah. But but I I'm still writing too. That's I like good. the hybrid. I, I like both. Yeah, that's the best, I think. I'm gonna have you read your excerpt. Okay. So I'm going to read a portion of the story. Carol and uh, her elephant Tara have been together for quite a while at this point. But Carol is trying to figure out a way to make Tara more profitable because they need to survive. So she's trying to figure out a way that Tara could become a performer that would attract more attention. One day, a man approached Buckley at a sports expo in Santa Barbara, where Tara was doing tricks to amuse visitors. He introduced himself as an ice skater and gushed about Tara. She's so coordinated, he said. I could teach her to ice skate. No, you will not, Buckley huffed. A year or so later, she reconsidered. When Buckley and Tara weren't on the road, their home base was in Ojai, California, where they lived along the Ventura River. Twice a day, rain or shine, they waded into the river together. Tara splashed excitedly while Buckley watched. The river was full of large, smooth boulders, and Tara picked her way across them with an astonishing ease. She was eight by then, and the size of an SUV. She ate about 50 pounds of food a day, but she was nimble. Buckley marveled at how Tara balanced on the boulders, gripping the edges with her toes. Okay, Buckley thought, let's give this skating thing a try. In Southern California, she decided, roller skates would be a better fit. Buckley visited a local welder who estimated that it would cost $2,500 to construct metal skates big and strong enough for an elephant. Buckley had $3,000 in her bank account. She called her mother. You know Tara better than anyone, her mother told her. If you think she'd like it, then do it. So Buckley emptied her bank account and commissioned the skillet-sized skates. Then she went to a shoemaker to inquire about boots. Really, what she wanted was more like mammoth ankle braces. It would give the elephant additional support. Before you say no, just come and meet her, Buckley pleaded. The shoemaker did, and charmed by Tara, agreed to make the boots. On a sunny spring morning, Buckley walked Tara to a stretch of concrete near her home. It was the foundation for a house that a builder had never finished. Today, it would be the setting for a most unusual lesson. Like she had so many times before, Buckley asked Tara to raise one of her front legs. When the elephant complied, Buckley guided her foot into a skate. The straps were made of seatbelts, the wheels of industrial casters. Then she repeated the process with the other front foot. The leather boots rose about halfway up Tara's stocky legs. Buckley would only be trying out the front skates to see how the elephant took to them. Tara bounded off, trumpeting and chattering, rolling and playing. She seemed almost to bounce with glee. Wobbly at first, she quickly gained confidence and control. Two weeks later, Buckley took Tara to an abandoned warehouse where there would be room for her to experiment, for the first time wearing all four skates. Tara glided across the concrete floor, and her excitement was contagious. Buckley now had a roller skating elephant. Tara didn't spin or do tricks, but the fact that she was on wheels was enough to attract attention. The bookings poured in. Buckley and Tara promoted Shriner Circuses on the West Coast. They appeared at roller rinks and in vast parking lots. Before events, Buckley got on her hands and knees with a level to make sure the venue didn't slope, which would make it difficult for her to stop. Then she adorned Tara with a shiny headdress and got ready for the show, Buckley skated alongside Tara, dressed in a leotard cut high at the leg. On the road, they bunked together in a custom-made trailer. When it was time to sleep, Buckley climbed into bed in a compartment up front and said goodnight. She could hear Tara slump against the wall and slide down to the floor. The trailer shook as the elephant got comfortable. Buckley fell asleep to the rumble of Tara's heavy snores.
0: I want to thank you for your time. This was really interesting. And thank you so much for being part of the podcast.
1: Thank you. This was fun.
2: It's great to be here.
0: Shannon McCaffrey and Jan Winburn discussing Shannon's article Sanctuary that ran earlier this year in the Atavis magazine. We've included links to Shannon's article Sanctuary in the show notes. This show was produced by me, Diana Keogh, and edited by Amy Padula, with special thanks to Josina Guess. Many thanks to MFA director Moni Basu for nurturing this writing program and this podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will take the time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please share it with friends. Thanks for listening.